Let's turn in our Bibles. It would be good for us to look at the Word of God this morning, because the Word of God will feed our soul. It will help us to understand Him more deeply and even understand ourselves a little bit. Um, God knows all about us. He recorded for us some very important truths, which will help us. You know, sometimes you get confused in life, and this is like the map. This is the, the thing to go to so that you have a way of understanding the steps of your life, the next phase of life, the things that he's calling you to, the things that he's bringing you through even now and even today. So before we look into God's word together, let's remember what a special book it is. This is like no other book on the face of the earth. God's word to you and to me. Let's thank him for it this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that it shows us about ourselves and about you. We thank you, Lord, that it makes it clear that we're sinners in need of a Savior and that you have sent your Son. You've given us Jesus as the way, as the truth, as the life. So, Lord, help us to breathe in your presence as we look in your word this morning. Breathe in your truth. Allow it to become part of how we think and how we grow and how we process life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. That's the title of the message, but it's also in God's Word. So if you turn to 1 Thessalonians, which will give you a little uh, page number here if you want it. That's uh, 1,048 in the Pew Bible there. We are going to look this morning at, you know, basically something that's very difficult. But we're hoping that God will show us the way through, right? So God, God in his word sometimes puts before us something that we can't possibly do. In fact, all of God's commands in the Bible are actually beyond our ability to obey in our own strength. They're not beyond our ability to obey in Christ, but in our own strength, when, when relying on our own wisdom, when trying to, to work things out ourselves, or, or, or even in the flesh, without the Spirit, all of His commands are impossible. Even the command to love one another, it's impossible to do, really, to do it perfectly without God's help. So we must rely on the indwelling Holy Spirit for the power to live God's word, to actually carry it out. We can read it. We might even understand it consciously, but to actually live it out and to live it out consistently, like daily, it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Would you agree? Okay. All right. So we're on the same page. When we read God's word, there's just some commands that just jump out at us as being like so difficult and seemingly impossible. Like when we read them, it almost seems impossible. But we know that God is a loving God, and he doesn't give his children impossible tasks. He gives his children tasks that he will come and empower them to be able to do. All right, so I need you to understand that because some people would look at the Bible and look at it without the lens of the Spirit and say like, wow, I can't do that. I guess I can't be a Christian, or I can't be a God follower. I can't possibly live that way. You know? God has not done that to us. He's given us his very presence, his very power, his very spirit to help us to do the seemingly impossible. 
So in 1 Thessalonians, you have to say that word with me, Thessalonians, it's a tough one. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it gives us three seemingly impossible commandments. Have you, have you turned there yet? It's on page 1048, if you've got the Pew Bible there. But here they are, one right after the other, starting in verse 16. It says to us, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, think about this for a moment. If the Apostle Paul, who is the writer of this, had said, well, rejoice a lot, pray pretty often, try to be thankful, then maybe we could say, oh, okay, I'll try that. But no one can honestly say, I rejoice always. I pray constantly. I give thanks in everything. No one can honestly say that. You could say it, but I'm not sure you would be honest when you say it. You probably couldn't honestly say, oh, I've kept all those commandments this last week. I know I couldn't. There wasn't even a single moment in my week when I wasn't rejoicing and praying and giving thanks. Anyone say that? Please don't. Please don't, because you're a liar. You're a liar. I just know it. Because as hard as I try to keep those commands, I fail way too often. And so what do we do when we read God's word and it appears that he has commanded us to do impossible things? What do we do? What do we do? You know, it's interesting that the writer of these words, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't offer any explanation in this passage. No help here in this chapter on what these commandments mean or how we can actually obey them. He just states them in a straightforward fashion. And then he moves on. Like it's, like it's easy for him to say. But, unfortunate, but fortunately for us, fortunately, there are other scriptures. It's not the only thing that God has said to us in isolation. There are other scriptures that do offer us some helpful understanding of what these commandments can mean in our lives and how we can begin to develop these types of attitudes and these types of habits that are listed here so that we can be more joyful, we can be more prayerful, we can be more thankful for all that God has done for us. This is God's will, it says, in Christ Jesus, verse 18. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? You don't have to, you know, do a big Bible search. This is God's will. He makes it very clear. So if you're wondering, what's God's will in my life? It's right here. It's right here. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, it's pretty straightforward. The issue is you may have some trouble discerning how to do that in certain areas of your life. But rejoicing always, praying constantly, giving thanks in always to God is God's will. And it's always God's will for you in Christ. It is that last phrase in the verse that gives us the underlying clue as to how we could possibly begin to obey such commandments. 
we must be in Christ Jesus. Don't try to obey these things in yourself, in your own strength, in your own way, in your own wisdom, in your own knowledge. You can't do it. But in Christ Jesus, it's possible. God's word testifies to us that it is. But without being in union with Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, you will never come close to obeying these commands, or any of them for that matter. So, to obey these impossible commands, we must have experienced the new birth in Christ so that we can be in Christ and have him dwell within us by his Holy Spirit. Look at verse 519. First Thessalonians 519. Right after he says these things, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The very next verse says this, don't stifle the spirit. I think there's a clue here. I think that this rejoicing, this thankfulness, this prayerfulness comes from the spirit. And we are then told, don't stifle the spirit. Don't stifle him. Now, that's an interesting word. Don't cover his mouth. Don't smother him with a pillow. Don't extinguish him. Don't quench him. The word stifle in Greek is actually three words. It says, let go out. Let go out the spirit. Sounds like someone who's just learning the English language. Let go out the spirit in your life. Let him out. Let him out because he's praying constantly. He's joyful in every situation. He's thankful at all times. Let him out. He's in there. We got him locked down. We got him pressed down. We got him like, uh, a little bit like Jonas was talking about in here. It's like, sometimes I just, I, I just need to shout. I just need to let people know how good God is because of what he's done in my life and in my family and what he's done to rescue me. So let go out the spirit. Don't stifle him or quench him. I think that's what happens when we find ourselves not being thankful, not being prayerful, not being joyful. We have put out the Spirit. We've stifled him. We've, 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 we've quenched him. So let's look at these three simple impossible commandments one at a time. The first one is rejoice always, verse 16. Rejoice always. So does rejoicing mean that you always go around and smile and jump and shout and be happy like Tigger? Right? I thought of Tigger immediately when I thought, well, okay, that would be our image, our modern image of what it means to be joyful all the time. Just bouncy, bouncy, bouncy Tigger, right? Now, here's the thing. When we look at this commandment and we don't think of it in the context and in the way that the, the wisdom of God, the whole counsel of God, the word of God teaches us, we would begin to think that maybe we're sinning when we feel sad. Maybe I'm sinful if I feel depressed or upset or if I'm grieving. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm now displeasing to God. He's going he's gonna to turn his back on me. If rejoicing means that you're always upbeat, you never feel sad, then we actually have a problem with God's word because neither Jesus nor Paul was 
always happy. So we have two heroes. Jesus, obviously, the greatest of heroes. But even, even Paul, who weren't always happy on the outside, if we want to describe it as happiness. It's interesting that the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament is this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Rejoice always, even in the English, has 13 letters. But the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament, or in the English New Testament, sorry, Greek first, English next, is John 11.35. Does anyone know the shortest verse? Jesus wept. So if rejoice always means always being happy, then Jesus broke the commandment, which we know that's not possible because he was sinless, right? So let's get this straight. It's not about an emotion. It's about something else, which we'll discover here in a minute. Even, even later on in, in, in Hebrews, has recorded for us that as Jesus faced the cross, it says Jesus prayed with loud crying and tears, Hebrews 5, 7. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul described himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It's like two opposite poles of this thing, right? How can you be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing? So what does Paul mean when he commands, through the scriptures, rejoice always? Well, first, it's important to remember that he wrote this to new believers who were suffering persecution because they had chosen to put their faith in Jesus. We see that in the beginning of 1 Thessalonians. So given their difficult circumstances, this command to rejoice always has to be viewed not primarily as a matter of feelings, feelings or emotions. I know we think rejoicing is just a feeling. But I think that scripture would tell us otherwise. Rejoice always is more of a command, and the response is more of one of obedience than feelings. When we're in a difficult trial or if people have mistreated us because of our faith, we then have a choice. Either we can focus on the trials, focus on these mean people, lapse into self-pity, or we can set our minds on things above, where Christ is at the right hand of the Father, where our lives are hidden with him, according to Colossians 3. And then we can rejoice. As Paul commanded in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. But again, I say rejoice. There's something about this commandment that we need to hear, and we need to hear it more than once. So if you've heard this sermon before, which I've never preached it before, but if you've heard it by somebody else before, then, then you're saying, oh, I already know all this. No, you don't. Rejoice. Rejoice again. Rejoice again. We need to hear it because our tendency is to focus on our troubles and not to focus on Christ's triumph. Since we are eternally in the Lord... That little phrase, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice in the Lord. We are eternally with him because of our faith in him. We can always rejoice. We can rejoice in his triumph. We can rejoice in the finality of what he has done. Everything that he needed to do, he has accomplished already for us. And we are 
continually receiving that revelation, continually growing into that knowledge. But our joy cannot be totally oblivious to circumstances, can it? But neither should we be governed by those circumstances. In other words, controlled by your circumstances. There is a way for believers, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to be going through difficult trials, but at the same time, to be able to rejoice. I know it sounds impossible, but we have examples of Paul and Silas. They were arrested, and they were whipped, and they were put in stocks at night, and they're sitting in the prison, and instead of saying, poor, pitiful me, they said, let's rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. They were sorrowful, yet rejoicing. Now, I thought of an illustration for this. Did any of you play like flag football with your family on Christmas? Anybody, any flag football people? Usually like, usually there's somebody after, you know, eating all that turkey and stuff, they want to get outside and they want to do something crazy, like play flag football, you know, the old people and the young people and all the old people are like, oh, okay, well, I'll try, you know, my legs hurt me or whatever. And, and, and what happens is even though your leg might be hurting you or your hip or your back or whatever, because you're with your family and you're rejoicing in that reunion, that time together, you overcome that pain by jumping into the game. I know Dan Marinoni does this all the time. Dan Marinoni is like our, our, you know, the sports minister here. He's always doing these crazy volleyball and flag football and all these, all these sports. And Dan's old. I mean, he's, he's, older, he's older than me, right? And he's got aches and pains, and sometimes you'll see him with crutches and something. He overcomes the pain of being old Dan by rejoicing in the fact he gets to play games with younger people, right? So you can do both things at once. Dan's in pain when he's playing flag football, but he's also rejoicing that he's playing flag football. See, it's not so opposite. What he's decided to do is focus on the fun of the game and ignore his sore back or his sciatica or whatever else is acting up, right? It is possible. When we read it on a page, we start to think, oh, I can't do that. Because I'm sorrowful, I can't be rejoicing. Well, yes, you can. Dan's proof of it, right? Paul and Silas, they're proof of it. You can do both things at once. And there's a way to overcome that pain, overcome that difficulty. Not that it goes away, and not that later on you don't have to take like 12 Tylenol and lay under a heating pad, but, but you rejoiced in the joy of doing it. And this is, this is what the Bible is trying to help us to see, that it isn't one or the other. It is one that triumphs over the other, one that you choose to prioritize over the other. So people, we are to prioritize Christ's victory over everything else we go through, and not that we ignore one. Of course, Paul himself had displayed his, this deliberate joy in the Lord when he was arrested unjustly, when he was beaten without a trial when he was thrown into the stocks in the, in the jail, and at midnight, he and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. The same was true of the apostles. After the Jewish leaders had flogged them for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, it says, so they went on their way from the presence of the council after being you know, 
given an unjust punishment and flogged, which means whipped, right? They went rejoicing because they considered that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame in the name of Jesus. So they took that physical pain and that difficulty and they put it in light of Christ, in light of all that Christ had done for them and all that he has promised to do for them. And it seemed small compared to how big that is, that victory, that joy in Christ. So to rejoice always means that we must make this deliberate choice to focus on the Lord and the unfathomable riches that he has given us, not on our difficult temporary circumstance. And this joy shines brightly in dark situations. In other words, it doesn't fit what's going on. It is otherworldly. It is based on eternity. If we do all things with joy in the Lord, rather than grumbling and complaining, we'll stand out like a light in a dark place. You may be even called strange. You're a little bit strange. I know bad things are going on in your life, and yet you still seem joyful, right? You ever had anybody tell you that? If not, well, work on it. Work on it, right? The next thing he says after he says, rejoice always, is in verse 17. Pray constantly. So, again, does this mean that you must pray every waking moment? Every moment of your life is a prayer. Obviously not, because neither Paul or our Lord Jesus did that. We can see it by reading their, reading, reading their, their history in our, in our Bibles. We can see that they weren't doing that constantly. So it's helpful to know that the word translated actually is the same word for constantly, like when someone has a constant cough. Now, I heard a few while we had our moment of silence before communion. There were a few. (coughs) There we go. Thank you, Judy. Right? There's a cough. And you could say, Judy has a constant cough. In other words, she's been coughing all weekend. Right? But it doesn't mean Judy's coughing constantly. Does it make sense? Like, <laughs> that sounds horrible. I don't know how to do it. But if, if I could animate it, it would just be a cough that just goes on and on and on and on, meaning like it's constant. It never ends, right? But that's not what this Greek word means. This is similar to a word that would be used that, like um, if a city was under attack, but the army that was attacking it didn't succeed, but the city was constantly under attack. So they would come and they would, they would attack and then they would pull back and regroup and maybe resupply and put some other fresh soldiers on the front. And then they would attack over and over again until they won the city. That's what it means. It's sort of a, a back and a forth, a back and a forth. Now, we can't win anything without the help of Jesus. Would you agree? We need, we, we need his help in everything, right? So I think that's why this gets to be such a big area, right? Is that we need Christ's help. And when we have his help, we then have victory. So we need to realize, first of all, we can't really do anything important in life without the help of Christ. 
The good thing is he's constantly available to help us. He is available in every situation. What we have to do is avail ourselves to his availability, connect with that. In other words, once you recognize your need to depend on the Lord in every situation, you begin to pray about every situation. So maybe you're on your way to work, and life at work has not been pleasant as of late. So as you begin to think about the day ahead of you, you begin to think, I can't do this without Jesus. So your prayer is simply, Jesus, thank you for being with me as I go to work today. Thank you for helping to give me the strength to put up with those obnoxious people. I know you can do it because you are able. I'm not able, but you are able, right? So praying constantly means bringing every situation, every different situation, might be your family, might be your health, might be your finances, bringing those things before the Lord and saying, hey, you're here to help me. Praise you. Thank you. Thank you for helping me. Let's go. Let's do this thing, right? So the regrouping is important to go back in and to re-enter. Doesn't mean everything goes your way. It means that Christ is involved in every situation to help you through the way. So prayer is actually a language of trusting in the Lord, not yourself. I'll say that one again. Prayer is a language of trusting in the Lord, not yourself. It's an important key to understand what prayer is about. That's how we can pray constantly. Keep trusting in the Lord, not in yourself, not in your own strength. Try to tell yourself, I can't do anything without the Lord's help. As soon as you do that, you realize, I need to be in contact with him on a constant daily basis, on a regular basis for each situation I'm in. All right, let's look at verse 18 before we run out of time here this morning, because this is the one we really wanted to get to, because it's a Thanksgiving weekend. And in the beginning of this verse, verse 18 says, give thanks in everything. Now, I want you to realize you don't need to feel thankful before you give thanks. I know that messes with some of you psychological people who talk about, you know, feelings and emotions and all that kind of stuff a lot. But it is possible to be thankful before you actually feel thankful. As you use that muscle, as you exercise your thankfulness, over time, It'll grow, it'll start to take over more of your brain and take over more of your heart and your soul, and you will feel more thankful, but you don't have to feel it in order for it to be thankfulness. Giving thanks in every situation doesn't mean you have to be happy about every situation or resign to accept it no matter what happens, like Eeyore, I guess it's going to be, I guess, I guess it's Winnie the Pooh Day, all that. Oh, my Winnie the Pooh stories are coming into my mind. But basically, like, you know, we don't just have to accept it as, you know, without prayer, without working for change. We should be prayerful. We should be working for change, especially in difficult situations, in situations where people need help. When God takes us through hard trials, we don't feel thankful. Everybody breathe a sigh of relief. I'm not asking you to be thankful for your difficulties. 
I'm asking you to be thankful in the midst of difficulties. It's two different things. By faith, we can say, Lord, I trust that you are good and that you know what you're doing even in this difficult time. I trust you. And I submit to your sovereignty, your hand in this matter. And I know that you have a purpose for it. And I know that you can work all things together for good. So you can know some things, some truths about God during your difficult situation that can eventually help you to feel more thankful. But your feelings don't have to be there before you actually act in faith. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. So it's, a, it's ahead of us. Faith is what we're hoping for. So I'm hoping to be more thankful. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to practice some things. I'm going to believe some things about God and about my world and about what's going on around me based on his word that will bring me into a state of thankfulness over time as I grow. Because like rejoicing always, giving thanks in everything is often a choice to trust God in difficult circumstances. It's a choice. Not even an easy choice. It's actually a hard choice. But so is walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You didn't choose the easy path, folks. You chose the more difficult path. But it's the right path. It's the good path. It's the path that leads to blessing and leads to a deeper relationship with God. So thankfulness will be our habit when trusting in God is our habit. The more you trust in God, the more you will be thankful because because you will be changed from the inside out. Thankfulness and trust are actually bound together somehow. If you're trusting in God, you're thankful for God, right? If you're not thankful, then maybe you're not trusting in God. Maybe maybe you're just looking at the circumstance and saying, I can't believe this is happening to me. Right? So I can't believe this is happening to me. Your whole focus is on you or me. My whole focus is on me, right? What God is asking us to do in order to be thankful is to change our focus, change our view, begin to look to him and what he is saying, what he has said, what he has promised, and then our view is changed. But like Jonas told us earlier, we're kind of stupid. For proof of this, let's go to the Old Testament for a moment. The book of Exodus. In Exodus, I want you to see how short-sighted or forgetful or even stupid, people can be. In the book of Exodus, which is on page 60 in your Bible, it's pretty easy to get to. It's not in the middle anywhere. On page 60, we have this beautiful, beautiful song. It's actually starting in verse, uh, in chapter 15. It's called Israel's Song. And it's this song that they begin to sing after they had been brought out of Egypt and after they have crossed the Red Sea and after they had seen Pharaoh's army just be annihilated, Right? 
And it's this beautiful song. We won't go through the whole thing, but look at verse 13. With your faithful love, this is what they're singing, it says. With your faithful love, you will lead the people. You have redeemed. You have guided them to your holy dwelling with your strength. Lord, you have prepared a place for your dwelling. Lord, your hands have established the sanctuary. You will reign forever and ever. It ends in verse 18. So it's this great, you should read the whole thing when you have time. It's this great song to God. It's, it's based on the fact that Pharaoh and all his horses and all the horsemen and all the soldiers had actually been drowned in the sea. The same sea that the Israelites had walked through because God provided them a way through had drowned their enemies. And so they are excited about that. The interesting thing is, if you keep reading in chapter 15, on page 60 here of Exodus, you see that only three days later, so they just had this big, like, wild praise and worship concert, right? And we got all the lyrics to all their songs right there in the book. Three days later, now three days isn't very, let's see, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So Thanksgiving Day, we were thankful, and we ate up our turkey and gravy and our pies, and we were like, this is awesome. We love it. Three days later, which is like today, this is what happens. Verse 23, verse 22, it says, they journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. And then verse 24, the people grumbled to Moses. What are we going to drink? So he turned and cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he broke a, tree, a branch off the tree, threw it in the water, and then the water was drinkable. Exciting, right? Good stuff. Miracles are happening. Just a little while longer. Just, just jump over to verse six, um, chapter 16 with me. God, God is doing this amazing thing. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's, he's buried their, all their enemies in the sea, right? He's now given them fresh water when the water was not even drinkable. And chapter 16, verse 2, you there? Want to read it with me? What are, what are the, 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 the first words? The entire Israelite community grumbled. The entire community. Now, sometimes one or two church members grumble to me, you know, one or two, and I'm like, okay, that's normal. But if the entire church community is grumbling to me, something's wrong. So something's really wrong. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread that we wanted on Thanksgiving Day. If only we died there. I mean, people, what is going on? These are the people that just had the worship concert. And they were just like, oh God, you're forever and ever. You're awesome. You provide for your people. You've given us a place. You've given us all the provision we need. You should be praised forever. If only we had died by the pots of meat. In them. I mean, a little cray-cray, a little strange. But this is what we're like. This is what happens to us. Oh God, have mercy on us. Show us your way. Well, quickly, and I'm going to ask uh, Jonas and, and, and Becky to come up here in a minute. 
Just, just flip through the whole Bible, get to another page, Daniel chapter 3. This is where we need to be. So that's who we are in our own flesh. We're just grumblers. We're happy one day. We're sad the next. We're blaming God for all kinds of things. But Daniel chapter 3, page 785, we have this beautiful scene where Nebuchadnezzar makes a gold, a gold statue. He wants everyone to bow down and to worship it. He said, whoever does not fall down and worship this thing will immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. But there were three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they, they would not bow down. And so these other guys, like, you know, snitched on them. This is where the original snitches get stitches comes from, right? It snitched on them and went to the king and said, you know, they're not, they're not bowing down. They're not doing what you said. And so the king brings them before him and says, is, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the, God, the gold statue that I set up? And this is what they said. If the God, this is verse 17 of chapter 3. If the God that we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know we will not serve your God or worship the gold statue that you set up. And we know the rest of the story, right? He, they blow the trumpets. Everyone bows down. They just go, mm-mm, ain't happening. He throws them in the fiery furnace, and there's not only three of them in there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but there's a fourth in the furnace, And it says, when they were brought out of the furnace, the fire had had no effect on their bodies. Not even a hair on their heads was singed. Not even did their clothes smell like fire or smoke. Because they trusted in God. The key to always being able to rejoice is to always be trusting in God. And I know I don't do it always, and I know you don't do it always. But the goal is to continue to let the Spirit guide us and bubble up through us and through our circumstances and bring us to a place where we can rejoice, where we can be grateful, where we can be at peace with our God. That no matter what happens in this life, no matter what someone tries to do to us or threatens to do to us in this life, we stand firm like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 could be my life verse, but I have too many life verses to call it a life verse. So we'll just, we'll just have it be one of my life verses. This is part of the key to rejoicing, to praying, to being able to be thankful. It is trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Not relying on your own understanding. You know why? Because it's a little broken. My wife and I refer to ourselves sometimes as broken toys. Like something not quite, not quite healed yet. Not quite where it should be. Not quite the way that God intended it to be in our thinking. So we can't rely on that. But in all our ways, we can rely on Him. And He'll make our path straight, Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Thank Him. 
Thank him for his victory. Thank him for his promises. Thank him for his presence. Thank him for not leaving us as orphans. And as we do that, we are changed into the image of Christ who lived a perfect life and never broke one commandment, let alone all of them. So let's stand together. Let's ask the Lord to help us to grow in our trust of him. When we trust him more, we will rejoice more. We'll be more thankful. And we'll be more prayerful. Amen?